Hello, and welcome to Lion and Mouse Commentary. We're your hosts, Tori. And Holland. Two best friends as different as a lion and a mouse. Today, we're reviewing episodes 6 through 10 of season 1 of Avatar The Last Airbender, and we'll be ranking it on an objective scale of 0 to 10, with only two points allotted for personal taste. As always, feel free to agree, disagree, or learn about something new. And as always, tread lightly, spoilers ahead. Cut to the intro. Welcome to the Lion's Den. Okay, so um, this is a continuation of a previous episode. Uh, we have already reviewed episodes one through five of the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you probably want to start there and then move here. As always, we break down the scoring system by category as we go. But remember, you can check that on our website as well. So obviously, this is familiar to both of us to kind of refresh your memory if you're not familiar with the series. Um, this is um, a series that was on um, Nickelodeon. Uh, it first aired in 2005, um, and then the series ended with a two-hour television movie in 2008. Um we have many more facts at our, on our previous episodes, so you're welcome to go back and listen to those. Um, I also just want to give a quick recap of the last episode of the first time we talked about Avatar, which we left off on episode five, um, which this is the summary from the Avatar The Last Airbender wiki um, that says, while in Omashu, Aang and the gang accidentally destroy parts of the city on a joyride on the city's mail system, and the king of Omashu challenges Aang to three tasks that require creative thinking before allowing Aang and his friends to leave the city. So that was where we stopped last time. So this time we're going to be picking up with episode six. Um, so for that... Uh, I guess, Holland, you can go ahead and kick us off. All right. So our first category is plot, story, and cohesion. So total score of two for this category. Um, and I actually gave this set of episodes total uh, one out of two points. So the episodes, I have a, like a list of the episodes that I wrote down. So episode six is Imprisoned. Episode seven is The Spirit World. The Winter Solstice. Episode 8 is Avatar Roku, The Winter Solstice. Episode 9 is The Waterbending Scroll. And episode 10 is Jet. So overall, I think this these episodes do a good job of cohesion. It kind of continues that road trip story that we started off in episode 4 and 5 in the last chunk of episodes that we reviewed. I think 6, 7, and 9 contribute pretty well to the overall series plot. Uh, for example, in episode six, Zuko finds Katara's necklace. In episode seven, Aang is discovering Roku's location so we can figure out how to talk to him. Episode eight, um, pretty much all of that contributes to the plot pretty well, the whole part with the winter solstice. And episode nine, Aang gets... Um, a bison whistle, which kind of contributes to the plot, and then Zuko kind of catches up to him. So overall, it kind of continues to move the plot forward. Episode six, I'm going to kind of go a little bit, a few episodes at a time. Um, episode six, I really like that it has this interesting concept that like no good deed goes unpunished, which is really not done very often in a kid's show. So the, but, um, you know, they help Haru 
or Haru helps this old man out and then he turns out to be to just turn him into the Fire Nation, um, which I think is a really interesting concept, but I generally think the rest of the episode is kind of boring. Um, you're dealing with this kind of prison escape plot-ish. Um, Haru and you learn about you know Katara's mom. Katara gets arrested. She kind of preaches about hope and Earthbender shouldn't give up hope. And I mean, I, I just think it's kind of it's kind of flimsy a little bit. Um, one thing I do want to uh, in reviewing the show, this is still technically a kids show, and I don't want to forget that aspect of the show and be overly harsh on it. But I think that in general, there's a lot of complexities and intricacies in this show as a whole. And I think that it merits a pretty critical review because, I mean, as we continue to review this this epi- this series, and Tori and I are both very familiar with it, personally, I think this series just gets better and better after season one. And I think season one overall, in my perspective, kind of, you know, no spoilers here, but season one overall feels the most like a, a kid's show. And I think that it just matures as the show goes on. So this is one of those episodes where it kind of feels like a kid's show. It has that that conflict and then, oh, here's a good moral and everything all works out in the end. Kind of isolated kid show feel for episode six. So I don't think it has that strong of a plot compared to other episodes. Episode seven and eight, I think are really good. They have Aang, they bring in the concept of Aang and the spirit world and Avatar Roku, kind of that spiritual side of him being the Avatar, gives you a little bit about of the mechanics of the spirit world and Roku be- Avatar Roku being one of Aang's past lives. They really give you a lot of information and yet that episode does stay pretty interesting. Um, the comet, the aspect of the comet coming um, and how Aang has to defeat the Avatar by the end of summer really raises the stakes of the story. It gives us a deadline for Aang's actions. It sets up Ozai as the Fire Lord and how, okay, it, it was this kind of oppressive ruler entity and now he has the potential for so much destruction and world domination. It really just takes that villain, this, and, and not just the individual villain, but kind of the oppressiveness of the Fire Nation. And it really ups the ante even further. And I think that's done really well without it feeling like, oh my gosh, this entire show is just impossible. Or, wow, this show got really dark really fast. I don't think, one kind of plot hole with those two episodes, Avatar Roku destroys the temple at the end of it. And it makes no sense. Like, why is the whole temple this collateral damage at the end of this thing? Like, Oh, maybe it was because the fire sages were so corrupt. You had to just bring them. No, that doesn't make any sense. It just seems a little extra and it's not really explained. Like, why would this one, the fire sages temple is supposed to be this really like sacred place in the same way that like, you know, other significant avatar areas are significant in the four nations. And I just thought that was a little... A little odd, kind of looking into it in more critically. Episodes 9 and 10 overall, I think, just really work to just continue that world building and, you know, bring out your character development. The With the waterbending scroll, 
Again, it feels a little bit like a kid's story. You have this kind of jealousy between Katara and Aang. And the really the only big contribution to the plot is that Zuko is following and tracking. Um, you know, he f- he's following the Avatar and that kind of encounter they have there. Episode 10 is really interesting. I know it's kind of, I guess I would say it's, it's probably like a fan favorite episode if I would have to classify it as one. I think a lot of Avatar The Last Airbender fans have their own fan, like, favorite episodes, but I feel like the episode with Jet is pretty consistently a fan favorite. He's a really interesting character. He's, he's a very memorable character. Like, even if um, even if it's not one of your favorite episodes, I think it's an episode that's very memorable. Yeah. And I think as far as the plot goes, I'm not going to, I'm going to touch on Jet a little bit um, later, but I think the plot is really interesting for that episode because here you kind of see the wrong side of this resistance. It's this morally gray area does the end justify the mean you know versus do we still do the right thing because it's the right thing jet wanting to attack the fire nation you know vulnerable civilians are they casualties of war or are they innocent civilians those are really complex processes to think through for a kid's show and it kind of brings in the concept of war and how civilians are in a way, should they or shouldn't they be part or involved in a war if they're just innocent civilians? So I think it's really interesting. I also think that the kind of the humor in that episode of Sokka's instincts and how he ends up being right in the end, his instincts really do serve him well. So it overall kind of overarching, some notes I have just... Episode six really kind of highlights the Fire Nation oppression with the oppression of the Earth Kingdom citizens. Um, It probably feels the most of these five episodes like a Saturday morning cartoon. Episode seven and eight, Aang needs help learning how to be the Avatar. That's kind of a good theme of those two episodes, I think, that are really interesting. And it also sets up that comet deadline. And then 9 and 10 really is just mostly continuing world building and character development. So I I only gave, I don't have a lot of negative things to say, but I only give it one out of two points because I think overall these episodes just feel like very Saturday morning cartoon-esque. So they, they kind of have each specifically episode 6 and 9 and 10 have like a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I guess seven and eight are kind of like a two-parter episode. They have very much a beginning, a middle, and an end. They don't, they do bleed into each other and they fill out the rest of the series as a whole. But we, we're introduced to this character of Haru and then that's done. We've moved on. We're introduced to the fire sages. We know about the comet for later on. That's, you know, pretty overarching story. Um, but those characters, that location... We feel at the end of it, we're never going to see them again. And then the same with the rest of those episodes, uh, 9 and 10 specifically. We, we're invited into this world and then it really feels like an open and closed book versus a chapter of the rest of the show. And I don't think that's a negative thing, but I think that it's not as well-rounded and fleshed out, especially in comparing to some of the other episodes of this show as a whole. So I'm trying not to compare too much to future episodes, But once you've seen a whole show beginning to end, it's really difficult to separate an analysis of this is 
what the show is like all the time versus I know what the show is going to be. So I, I kind of have to give that disclaimer that this is coming from someone who has seen the show in its entirety multiple times. So I'm not trying to be overly harsh, but I'm kind of comparing the show to itself because well, I in, think it gets better. It, yeah, I think in a, in a way, having that perspective of people who are familiar with the show if this is your first time watching the show or your first time hearing anything about Avatar, you might be listening to Holland talking and being like, wow, this doesn't sound like a great show. But the the ma- the fact of the matter is, is that these are not the best episodes in a very fantastic show. And so, like, you should get through them because it does get so much better and, like, more fleshed out. And all of these episodes do continue to build the world, set up the plot, introduce these characters, build these characters, flesh out these characters. So I wouldn't say that anybody that wants to watch this show should skip these episodes either. So that being said, I think they're good episodes. They're just not as high caliber as, you know, other, even comparing to other TV shows, but in comparing them to some of the other episodes that exist in this show. So one out of two points for me. Okay, so for me, out of two points for plot, story, and cohesion, I also gave it one out of two points. Um, I feel like I'm a lot of what you said, I mirror those sentiments. Um, I feel like for me, these chunk of five episodes feels a lot like we are laying sort of some boring groundwork that will sustain us through the rest of the show. But in the context of just the five episodes, it can make these episodes feel kind of boring. Um, And not to say that they're boring all the way through, but there are significant times in these five episodes where my attention kind of drifts or my focus kind of wanes. Um, And it's just because I'm like, I don't really like care to get these sort of like shallowy moments. And not to say that they are shallow, but comparatively, like you said, um, they can feel a little light, I guess, and not as meaty as other episodes. So this this grouping of five is definitely not my favorite, but I do think there are some good things, so I want to talk about the good things. <clears throat> we start to get a big understanding that the Fire Nation has a wider reach of oppression than we originally um, see in the first five episodes. So this is now the second set of five episodes. And we're starting to really get an understanding of like the power that the Fire Nation has exerted on other nations in this world. And that the reach of the Fire Nation is affecting basically every known corner of the Avatar's world at this point. And it makes the weight of what Aang eventually has to do feel, um, it's it's a stake raiser. you're realizing that it's not just that, you know, Avatar's got to come in here and, you know, defeat the Fire Lord and everything's going to be cool. It's not only that, but the Fire Nation has been effectively oppressing nations and that is going, just the cleanup in and of itself is going to take the rest of Aang's life. And so I think it kind of puts into perspective that it's not just a big battle. Like, this whole show is not just about one big battle and everything's good again. Um, there is a, a work that is going to have to be put into this. And the Avatar's work extends a past just really cool, you know, bending fights. Like, that's not the extent of his job. 
And so I think setting that up and kind of helping us get that understanding is very important, especially through the rest of the series. Um, there's a lot of good world building with the spirit world finally being kind of explored. Um, we have two episodes in these five that focus very heavily on the spirit world and what that means and how Aang can travel in and out of the spirit world. Um, how his abilities are affected in the spirit world, um, communication, uh, what the different spirits are and like, are they all good or all they are they all bad? We get uh, a view into that sort of side of the lore, I guess, of the world of Avatar. Um, and, you know, we kind of see that there's a scary side to it. I mean, you have this monster destroying this town um, and Aang is like, accidentally transported and trapped within the spirit world and he has to figure out how to defeat this crazy spirit monster with no bending abilities um so we we get to just see kind of that you know ang does have um limitations um in the spirit world and just understanding how that works a little bit, I think is kind of significant. Again, it's, it's, it all feels like setup to me. It's like, I'm just trying these five episodes is like, I'm just going to give you more understanding of how the world works, how the world operates. And there's not a lot outside of that. Um, I think Katara losing her necklace is a pretty significant plot point, maybe the most significant plot point in these episodes. Um, and then of course, I, I feel like you get a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a trope. I don't know what else to call it. But we have this moment where Aang realizes that because he has been gone for a hundred years, uh, he has the conversation with Roku, which basically tells him, that's why I don't, I don't know why I call it a flashback. It's not a flashback. But he has a conversation with Avatar Roku. Um, and Roku basically says, you have mere weeks to cram in years of work. So you better get busy. And uh, it kind of makes the momentum of the show shift a, a little bit at that moment, but not enough in a way that makes me feel like, all right, it's time to like buckle up and hang on for the ride. Um, so it's not quite as satisfying. I think I think that conversation could have felt a lot more weighty if there was more action right behind it. Um, but I also understand why they couldn't do that um, because you don't want to suddenly unrealistically start moving our characters in a in like a, a speed or a way or skip anything because I feel their journey is kind of important this journey to um the other water temple or the other water tribe um so overall I feel like because these episodes just sort of feel like world building and understanding the world um it just doesn't it, there's not a, as much interest as um other episodes hold so because of that i just gave it one out of two points all righty all right so our next category is characters so i gave this category out of the total possible score of three points i actually gave it three out of three points I did not really evaluate a lot of the side characters in this because I think that these five episodes, even though the plot isn't super engaging, I think the characters in these episodes are very engaging and it really focuses on our main cast very, very well. So I didn't really delve into a lot of the side characters in reviewing this because I think that this 
these five episodes just continue to flesh out our main cast very well. Um, Haru and his dad in episode six are really not that interesting. Um, I mean, they're, they're kind of helping to move the plot more than they are, like, depth of characters. But I think as characters overall, the those earthbenders in that episode help, like you said, it kind of fleshes out that oppression of the Fire Nation. So a lot of these side characters really are less character device devices and they're more plot devices. So I don't... I don't want to touch too much on them because I really think the characters of the main cast just continue to be very, very good in these five episodes. I think Katara, we're seeing her grow. Um, she's has moments where she's pretty gutsy and determined, especially in episode six, even though the plot may not be super interesting. The Her as a character, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of her as a character. I mean, she's willing to go into a Fire Nation prison. Like, who knows what that's going to be like? And yet then we still see this very hu- these very human aspects of her, like she's jealous of Aang's natural waterbending ability, which is a very real reaction that I think a grown adult would have, let alone a 14, 15, 16-year-old adolescent would have that kind of reaction. So, and I think they, they approached it very well that, in, in developing that aspect of her character, that she's not this whiny little temper tantrum throwing, undermining her own character. She's just having some genuine frustration that she's been trying to waterbend. And it's her, in a way, it's her heritage and her culture. And now Aang is just leaping and bounding ahead of her in learning this craft. And I think that they did a good job. I think it's, it's notable in her character that she acknowledges her fault and kind of ties it up with a bow nicely at the end of the episode, but that her and Aang's relationship still remains, remains, you know, pretty strong. They don't have like this huge falling out in that episode. I think we see the most development in these, this chunk of episodes in Sokka. We really get to see him utilized a lot more. He comes more to the forefront of our main cast. He's protective of his group. He won't let Katara stay alone. He's like, this is your deadline. You're not staying in this prison longer than X amount of time. And then we get to finally see this strategic ability of his in the episode where they're trying to get into the Fire Sage's temple. It's his idea to light, you know, a fuse, a fuse and set off an explosion and simulate five firebenders with, you know, basically gunpowder. And I think that we get to finally see his his creativity and ingenuity. We see it in that episode, and then we see it again in Jet when he's, you know, just something as simple as, like, amplifying the vibration so that he can hear somebody coming or, you know, making these kinds of evaluations and assessments. We just show him as this very strategic individual and see him as a contributing member to the team versus him just being this non-bender following along comic relief kind of character. And kind of like I said earlier, his instincts, when they're laughing about Sokka's instincts, making this running gag about Sokka's instincts, Sokka's instincts end up being right and saving a lot of people Mm -hmm. in the end. I also think that we see Aang really grow into this, what does it mean to be the Avatar? It's more than just learning all the bending elements, 
you know, it's it's this spiritual aspect of things and being the link between the spirit world and things like that and his interactions with Hebi and things of that nature. So, which is a big, it's a big change. And I think that we're watching Aang kind of mature into this role very, very gradually, or maybe he hasn't matured into this role, but we're watching him realize that this role does take a lot of, of his attention. I mean, he needs to be ready and equipped for that. And of course, you know, the pressure of having to learn everything he needs to learn before the, the summer, the end of summer. We also see in these episodes, I think we see a lot of development in Zuko and Iroh as well, which I always think is very interesting when we have a show that's a kid's show and we're seeing development in our villains. So many shows, just your villain is this figurehead or this goofy, slappy, you know, bumbling villain, cartoonish, cartoonish yeah. villain that even though they're funny and entertaining, have zero character development whatsoever. And we're seeing Iroh and Zuko's relationship with each other. So Iroh supporting Zuko and then Zuko tracking and following Iroh to try and find him that... The way we see that Iroh acts when he's captured by the Earth, Sol- Earth Kingdom soldiers and his cleverness and his ingenuity. And then he knows that Zhao is following them. So he helps give them kind of a fake trail, things like that. And then we also see, you know, not just Iroh and Zuko as our villains, but we see Zhao and how Zhao is a formidable, formidable villain to our villains. We have an antagonist to our villains, which I think is a really interesting dynamic to have in in a show like this as well. It's not just Zuko and Iroh that are our villains tracking the Avatar, but they have a villain too. They have an adversary. And so it's a pretty clever thing to give your audience someone to, a way to root for your villains because you may not, you know that they're the enemy of the Avatar, but their enemy is even worse. So the enemy of my enemy is, you know, it's right. It's my friend. <laughs> yeah. So you wouldn't, you would think, oh well, then that means that you should be, you should like Zhao because he's Zuko and Iroh's enemy. Like, no, we don't like Zhao because, the, because I think they set up the power dynamic yeah. very specifically in a way that it's like Zhao has almost no redeeming qualities about him. Exactly. Exactly. And he's he's clever and he's powerful and he's ruthless. We just see a lot of this kind of coming into play in these episodes where we're like, ah, I don't like this guy. Maybe Zuko and Iroh aren't that bad. And we, in seeing their relationship with each other, especially how much Iroh cares for Zuko and even how Zuko is like, you know, we, uh, he's tracking his uncle down and, and trying to find him and, you know, cause he's been captured. Even in that Zuko cares. It's not like he's glad to be rid of his, you know, annoying uncle. He, it's somebody that he does have an affection for. The kind of two side characters that I think are, are pretty interesting and in, is the fire sages. I think it's just as a whole are very interesting how their allegiance is not, they're supposed to be serving Avatar Roku's temple. And yet their allegiance is not to the Avatar, which would be the most obvious. Their allegiance is to the fire nation and I think that's a very interesting dynamic how you've kind of, in a way, it's like they've politicized their their group, you know? So if, if we're thinking just conceptually, the Fire Sages are the avatar, you know, the most like spiritual aspects of 
the Fire Nation's incarnation of the Avatar, which was Avatar Roku, well, then you would think when Aang shows up, they'd be like, ah, you're the reincarnation of Avatar Roku. How can we help you? And yet, no, they're completely allegiant to the Fire Nation as a whole. They want Aang captured. They have no no interest in supporting Aang at all. And I just think that's a very interesting, interesting concept that they're the exact opposite of what you would expect them to be. And then I kind of already touched on Jet. I do think Jet's a very memorable character. He's kind of a fan favorite. I feel like he's also one of those characters that it's kind of like Tumblr fodder, you know? <laughs> so, because he's the bad boy who walks around with a piece of hay sticking out of his mouth. Like, I mean, it's and just... And they very obviously set up that, like, Katara immediately has a crush on this guy. Right, so. right. And I think that that's, you know, that's fine. It's like, you know, what you're going to have that happen in, in kids' TV shows and adults' TV shows. You're going to have this kind of, like, will-they-won't-they they dynamic. But I think that... It's really, I, I like that at the end of it, Jet does not change. He does not go back on his ways. He's a man of conviction. I mean, he's a kid, but he's a man of conviction and he sticks to it till the end. And his perspective is his perspective and he believes it to the end. And I really, really appreciate that, that he sticks to his convictions and he's not like, at the, by the end of the episode, he's like, oh, you know what? I was wrong. I see everything your way now. Let me join your avatar journey team and just come along with you. He just, no, he's, he believes what he believes. He's, you know, the means justify, or the end justifies the means. And, you know, we need to end the Fire Nation's reign at all costs. And if there's casualties of war, there's casualties of war. And we're going to do what we can to protect innocent people that are not Fire Nation. And if they're, people that are Fire Nation that get hurt, then that's just too bad. We've still stopped the Fire Nation at all costs. And so it's not necessarily the kind of role model if your kid is watching this show. It's not exactly the role model that you would want for your kid. But I do think that in the way that Katara and Aang and Sokka all interact with him still brings out that kind of morality through it and address they address it in a very realistic way. So character-wise, I think it's great that you have this very contrasting, this person with that's technically we're on the same side, but we're really not because the way we want the same conclusion, the way we want to go about getting the same conclusion is very, very different. And so I think that that's really interesting for a kid's show. It's really, a, there's a lot of depth to that and having... Those hard conversations, I think, is it's kind of a conversation piece when you think about it with your kids. If you're watching this with your kids that like, you know, yeah, we're going to have people that we both want the same end goal, but the way we go about it is different. Mm -hmm. And our morals and our worldview and our convictions make us different people, even though we may want the same goal at the end. So that's a little bit of a tangent, but I do think it's it's a good... Um, character development for the show. And I think it's really interesting. I think it's one thing that makes that episode pretty popular, makes Jet as a character very interesting and very popular because he's so different from the Avatar team. And yet he is kind of on the same side as our little team Avatar. But uh, he's the way he wants to go about things is just yeah. so, so wrong. So all of that to say, uh, there's, I didn't want to go into too much because we did, we do talk about these characters in our previous episode and when we do another episode about the rest of the show we're going to cover in 
more about characters. So I didn't want to go and go and rehash things we've already said. So just as a continuation, I would say the characters are pretty consistent with the prior episodes and are consistent when compared to the rest of the show. So three out of three for me. Okay, cool. Okay, so for me, for characters out of three points, I gave it two and a half points out of three. Um, I think that we do see a lot of new side characters kind of get introduced in this chunk of episodes. Um, And I think it could be a good and a bad thing. Um, The bad thing being that sometimes it does feel like a lot, like we're just getting inundated with all of these characters and they don't stick around for more than an episode or two. Um, But at the same time, a lot of these characters are very interesting and kind of bring that specific episode to life or that specific locale or wherever the crew happens to be at the moment. Um, You know, we get uh, characters like Jet, and his crew. We get Haru. We get the sages. Kind of you mentioned them. And I think they're all very interesting and and good characters that serve the purpose that they have in those episodes. So I think those are, are good things about it. Um, I just kind of wish that they didn't so much feel like one and done characters um, and that we had uh, more of an opportunity to sort of see um, how their lives are affected or how they affect um, our heroes' lives. Um, in these episodes, we do see Aang kind of getting a larger picture of the state of the world. And that means that we start to see these moments where Aang grapples with a lot of sadness or guilt. I think it's a interesting thing to do, um, but also makes a lot of sense. Um, granted, I mean, I don't know how I would handle the fact of being in an iceberg for a hundred years and then coming back and realizing that the world is in a sucky state and I potentially could have had the power to do something about that and had no, uh, you know, ability to do that. So I can only imagine that, that that sadness and guilt makes perfect sense. I, I think he handles it way better than I would. And I also appreciate the fact that we don't just see those emotions, uh, come forward in Aang once, but they're kind of recurring, flaws, if you will, in him, which I don't really think that they are flaws, but I I think it's just kind of something that uh, really makes Aang feel realistic um, and human. Um, and I like that these are things that he grapples with over and over, but yet doesn't let it pin him down for too long. Um, I think he shows a lot of resolve against these things, even if they are reoccurring struggles. I think all of us could say that there are certain things in life that we struggle with over and over and over, um, but we still do our best to press through. And I think Aang is a great example of that as well. Um, There is a very unexpected action from Katara in these um, episodes, and that's stealing. Katara steals the scroll. Um, It doesn't feel like her at all. Um, and I don't really know how I feel about it. I think that, I think it's good to see your heroes do some cruddy things every once in a while, um, especially if there is like true remorse and resolve of, of those cruddy things. Obviously you don't want your heroes doing cruddy things and then getting away with it, but that's not the case here. Um, you know, she does fess up and, and make it right. Um, but it, it feels like the first stark who are you moment, I think, in the show, um, because it just goes against everything she so loudly protests um, all the time. So, well, I think they kind of get around that because she's stealing 
from pirates who pretty much admit that they stole it from the plundered it from waterbenders. So Very I Robin think, Hood. <laughs> yeah, so I think in a way it's a little different. I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a hundred percent justified, but they kind of give you a reason why someone like Katara Especially when she's, like, so desperate to get better at waterbending because Aang's catching up to her so fast. And she's... They kind of give you some justifiable reasons, quote-unquote, for why she would feel the freedom to steal it. And then I think they do a good job of having her have pretty significant consequences of that action. So they don't say that, like, stealing's okay if you're stealing from somebody that is a crappy person. Right. But if you do, because everything seems okay, you're probably still going to have consequences. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I also agree with your point about there's a really good focus on Sokka in these episodes, especially episode 10, which is the episode with Jet. Um, It really gives us good insight that Sokka, while he may not be a bender, he brings a lot of really good things to the team, one of those being that he really has a great sense of discernment. um, And it's unfortunate that Katara and Aang don't immediately give him that credit. Um, And I I think it's, you know, for different reasons, obviously, like Aang just thinks Jet's cool because Jet compliments him and like, you know, makes Aang feel good. And then Katara has a crush on the boy. So it's unfortunate that like, Sokka is at first painted in their eyes that he's just either jealous or grumpy because, you know, Jet's cooler than him or whatever. Um, But at the end, like, he really has to, like, make the resolve that, like, I have to follow my gut here. And it pays off in the end and keeps them safe. Um, And the people in the village keeps them safe, too. So I think that it's, it's a great episode to kind of show us that, uh, Sokka really has some good leadership qualities that he exudes in that episode. Um, and he's coming to kind of learn how to trust his gut and act on it without doing so in like a pushy or bossy sort of way. He just comes to the realization that like nobody else is going to do anything about this because nobody believes me. So I must take the initiative to do the right thing. Um, and I think it's a ve- that's a very valuable um, asset that Sokka brings to the team. Not to say that Katara and Aang don't have integrity, um, but I think Sokka acts on that integrity even if it makes him look like the bad guy for a moment um, because he just believes so strongly in whatever that right thing to do is. And I just think that's a really great mo- character moment that we get from Sokka. Um, as always, the voice acting is 10 out of 10. Um, I can't talk enough about the skills of the the voice actors for this. Um, they're just so good and uh, really props to all of them because I know that some of them were quite young when they recorded this and yet they still bring so much life and depth and emotion um, to these characters and really just, I think, I would maybe wager to say that their performance is really what gave the show the success that it had. Um, Or one of the highest factors of the show's success is the voice acting. So um, in these episodes specifically, even though it's a lot of uh, story building and kind of understanding the world, um, they really make 
even the moments that I find kind of flimsy, um, still realistic and, and fun to listen to. And they, they just, the performances are always 10 out of 10. So two out of two and a half points out of three for me. All right. So our next category is aesthetics. And I gave this out of a total possible score of two. I gave this two out of two. Um, I think that this is so, this show overall is so incredibly consistent visually. It just does such a good job that every episode that you watch still feels like it's part of the same world. It's, it's extremely consistent. The animation style is just great. The use of the animation style and kind of the visuals of humor are pretty good. Like, for example, in episode six, when they're supposed to all act natural and they're all kind of, it looks like a, like a freeze frame, but they're literally all just standing there frozen looking natural. Like, that's just, that's pretty Like humorous. the Fire Nation guards are like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And they're, they're all just like standing there awkwardly, like not, not in any way looking natural. It's just, it's just a cute and clever visual. The show is funny. It is. It is. And a lot of that visual humor is used really well, I think. The visuals of Heibai, those two forms that he has, as far as like the spirit world and the the visuals for that are just done really well. This is the first time we really get a good picture of what is the spirit world and what does it look like. And it looks otherworldly without looking so unfamiliar that now we feel like we're watching a completely different show. The... Fire Temple and the prison. I love the design of that. Um, the design of the Fire Temple and the design of the prison where Haru and his fellow Earthbenders are all being held. It is very distinctly Fire Nation mm-hmm. looking. So even in like whether it's a prison or whether it's a a Fire Sage's temple, it looks very distinctly fire nation the architecture the design the way the stonework looks the, you know, it all just looks very very uniform and consistent with that specific nation there's a lot of cinematic aspects i feel like in the show as a whole where it feels like we're watching a movie and not a cartoon for example when haru gets taken and katara sees his mom crying that's a very cinematic shot. It, it really pulls you into the emotion of that scene. And then things like our action scenes, things, well, there's various action scenes, but like when they're running the blockade um, in episode eight, you know, there's different action and combat scenes. The water bending in episode nine, Katara's water bending and jet sword bending, Katara's water bending versus jet sword fighting in episode 10. They're, they're, all of those action scenes just feel very fluid and organic. It doesn't feel like it's a big mess. We can't watch what's going on. We can't keep track of anything. It seems, it feels very choreographed, even though it's an animated show. It feels like somebody was very intentional about if this was real world and these were two human beings fighting together, their bodies could and would move in this way. Their you know weapons could move in this way. A boat actually moves in this way. It doesn't feel cartoony. It feels very organic and grounded in a real world, even though this world is fantastical and has all these, you know, bending abilities and spirit worlds and all of that stuff. It still feels grounded in reality. I do really like some of the creature design. I, I think I may have touched on this in our last episode, but 
the creature designs in this show are, are just great. Haybai's two different forms I really like. I like the design of Fang, the dragon, Roku's dragon. Very Eastern style dragon. Looks great. The way that his um, kind of whiskers move. And, you know, when he touches Aang's forehead with his, with his whiskers, you know, that is very different from, you know, a, a Western style dragon or British mm-hmm. style dragon. Good point. Um, the design of the rhinos that the rough riders, the rough rhino riders, whatever those guys are called, they ride. They they look very powerful. Um, you know, they look more like militant animals that you would ride and versus, you know, it's kind of like someone coming in on a tank versus somebody coming in on a on the cavalry horseback. Um, the ostrich horses and then I think the pirate's uh, lizard bird the the as a variant of a parrot is just really clever you know these creepy seedy looking pirates you know to have a parrot that's like part lizard part bird is just really innovative um i i just really enjoy the different creature designs they have in the show um and then one other moment that i just i thought was really great the the in episode 10 where Sokka's describing that he went to the town and those actions that he did warning the townsfolk and stuff like that. They're almost like black and white stills of that story being told. And it's just a still shot. And, you know, maybe it kind of moves a little bit, like that kind of Ken Burns effect, if you will. But then we're watching that story being told in like a black and white picture. And it just feels very cinematic. It feels unexpected, compared to what you'd normally see in a kid's show, but it's very powerful storytelling. You know, he's describing this very important, you know, significant sequence of events that happened in the past to save these people's lives. And I felt like it's done very tastefully and given a visual representation that has impact to the story versus it just being like, oh yeah, this is what happened. I saved all these people's lives and warned them. It's like, no, it was this very, you know, it brings you emotionally into the scene. And so moments like that, I think they do a really good job of kind of bringing you into the scene emotionally, visually, versus it just being a straight up, like, you know, I'm not knocking it, but like a straight up, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or any other Saturday morning cartoon that just right. feels very cartoonish. And right. I think there's there's aspects for that. So, you know, the, like Teen Titans Go or something like that is extremely cartoonish looking. But... It was meant to be that way. It was though. meant to be that way. And right. this, I feel like, is meant to be taken a little more seriously, not just in story and character development, but in visuals and art and representation of, of those art mediums. So And cultures, I would say. Yeah. So I think it just continues to aesthetically be done very well. Um, again, I don't want to, to rehash things we've kind of talked about before. The use of CGI in this show, I do think is is still in these episodes pretty well integrated. I believe in the first five episodes, the CGI with the door lock uh, that Aang has to use to get into the room with the statues that has Avatar Roku in there, uh, that is CGI. And then they do the same thing here where the fire sages lock mm-hmm. that right. all of those working kind of serpent looking pieces as they move, the locks open. Though Those are CGI looking and... Uh, I think that it still works well. I think it was interesting that they chose for this quote-unquote locking mechanism to be the one aspect that looks visually very different because it looks like CGI versus 
looking like traditional hand-drawn mm-hmm. animation. Um, I don't know why they made that choice. I feel like they could have done it with just the traditional animation style, but I thought it was interesting to kind of keep that that consistent in your story that the locking mechanisms of the quote-unquote temple area of whatever nation you're in is is all CGI. But I think it works well and, and it looks cool. The, I think the lock looks really cool if that's, you know, super nerdy to say, but... Um, yeah, so not I don't have a ton to to like really hash into, but I gave it two out of two for aesthetics. I think it's really funny that you say if that's not too, not too nerdy to say. We have a podcast where we <laughs> review nerdy things yeah. for hours at a time. Yeah, I know, but you know, people don't really talk about locks and the way they look when they open. We do. Nothing's too nerdy for Lionel's commentary. <laughs> there you go. Okay, uh, for me for aesthetics, I gave it one and a half points out of two. Um, I think that uh, this show is very solid in its aesthetics, um, but in these five episodes specifically, I didn't give it full points for this very simple reason. Nothing really wowed me in these episodes. And I don't mean to say that I feel like my bar is exceptionally high, um, but there was never really a moment where I was like, that's it. That's the visual moment that I was waiting for. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. This is only five episodes in a show of many episodes. Um, but let me talk about some of the things that I think are good, uh, just not necessarily excellent. Um, I, for some reason, am a sucker for lantern lighting in anything like show movie. and whatever video game and they use lantern lighting quite a bit um in this show especially when it comes to the fire nation and i just love the way that they use the lighting and the glow feels very real and it almost feels warm on this on the screen and and i i love what you talked about how and i talked about this a little bit in our last avatar episode as well where i love that each nation in avatar the last airbender has its own color palette um, like you said, architecture, feel, uh, clothing styles, things like that of the people. And yet it all feels like one cohesive world while still having the very distinct four nations. And that continues in this. Uh, they use the color palettes very, w- very well. It's diverse. Now in these episodes, though, there's a lot of traveling that happens as well. And so you get these episodes where you're not specifically in a locale that belongs to a specific nation, perhaps. Um, So you don't get a lot of those like context clues. And I think in those episodes, they do very interesting things where they kind of almost blend palettes. Um, For instance, um, in, uh, let me say like the jet episode, like there's not really a specific color palette. Um, How So they bring in some of the I feel like some of the Freedom Fighters do wear a lot of reds and blacks, so it almost feels kind of Fire Nation-y, but not at the same time because the style is different. And I, I found that very interesting. Um, it feels very cohesive without being too pointed at anything. Um, and I think that's good um, for the most part. Obviously, I think the score just... The score is so good in this show. I feel like I could listen to Avatar The Last Airbender music the way that I listen to video game music, which is to say all the time. (laughs) Um, uh, I think if I were to say like my top three music genres, video game music is up there. And well, really scores of any kind, I, I just think are good. And this is a score that I think deserves more praise than it gets. Um, it is a score that is not, 
um, in your face. It's not super loud. Um, and I like that sort of thing. When I'm watching something or whatever, I want the music to fit. I want the music to fit so well that I almost don't realize it's there. Um, and yet it's still so good. I can listen to it on its own and just enjoy every moment of it. And I feel like this show in general just gives us a great score. Um, I think it's interesting that we get very specific, different color palettes for the spirit world. Lots of whites, grays, blues. Um, the shadows almost turn, um, it's almost like reverse shadowing in the spirit world. I don't know how else to describe it, but obviously like you understand what shadows are and we see really great shading and shadows in kind of what I'd say the real world is in the show. And then when we flip over to the spirit world, it's almost like what you would expect to be shadowed almost gets brighter. Like there's like a weird ethereal light effect where there would be shadows, but at the same time, it doesn't make it feel less dark it's, a, it, it's so hard to explain without actually seeing it. So if you've never watched Avatar, you're probably thinking I sound like a psycho. But it's so strange to me how they take the colors and it's almost like the colors get leached out in the spirit world. And it almost gives like a unnatural effect that's almost like I don't want to be touching this for too long, you know? Um so I just think that's really cool. It's a di very different color palette than we get from anything else in the show. It's like the spirit world has its own situation. Um, and I think that uh, you kind of talked on this too, but I have to agree that like the combat seems to be better in these five episodes than they were in the previous five. It's getting smoother. They're doing, um, I think, more adventurous sorts of things. We're seeing different weapons from different characters and kind of getting an idea that like the this character, you know, is an expert at this weapon we've never seen before, or this tribe of people um, bends in a new way. You know, we kind of see that there are variations to combat um, while it still looks very natural. Um, and like you said, very choreographed and not in a fake way, um, but just very intentional, I think is the word you used. And I have to agree with that. So, but all of those to say, you know, I think those things are all very good. Um, but there was never a moment in these five episodes where I was just like, wow, you know, I forgot how good this looked or whatever. Um, it's all just good, like just kind of run of the mill good. So that's why I only gave it one and a half points out of two. I just think that it's, I mean, I know when you're comparing it to other Avatar episodes, it may feel like run of the mill compared to Avatar, but I feel like compared to other children's geared kids yeah. cartoons, it's, very much a step above in quality. Oh, I, ag I agree with you completely. Um, and that's why it was hard for me to kind of rank this category specifically for these five episodes. Um, so are you are you more, I'm just asking just out of curiosity, are you more comparing it to itself in, in that? Co correct. Okay. Yeah. So this is within the confines of Avatar. Um, so like these five episodes in contrast to... Itself. The next five or whatever. Right. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Or, or what I know the show is capable of or even what we saw in the first five episodes. Um, I just feel like it's sort of in the way that like the plot kind of. For eh, my category. Yeah. Like the like plot is kind of eh, compared, compared to. to yeah. Um, it's the same thing here for me with aesthetics. It's like it's good, but I'm gearing up for something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. All 
Alrighty, so next category is personal taste and preference. As always, we are only allowed two points for this, and I gave these five episodes one out of two points. Um, Again, as I mentioned before, Avatar for me as a show, as a whole, all three seasons, is two out of two. I absolutely adore this show. Um, But these five episodes just aren't really that that impactful to me. Um, I... In general, I acknowledge that they have necessary plot points, but they're overall very episodic. And to me, they feel just very flat and cartoony compared to other episodes in this show. Again, it's difficult to kind of evaluate it this way because, like Tori and I have both mentioned, we're kind of comparing this show to itself. And it's um, hard for us to, to not do that, but it's also hard for us to do that because we understand we're trying to deliver our rankings based on these five chunk, like, five episode chunks at a time but knowing the context being i what i would consider like a veteran of the show it's hard for really difficult for us to separate the each chunk from its whole right and i think in general if i was a new watcher and i had made it through the first five episodes and these five episodes it would be kind of hit or miss if i were to continue the show and like i'm saying full disclosure i this show is two out of two for me. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. And I've literally watched it over and over again from start to finish. But if I was a new viewer and these these five episodes were all I was exposed to episode to all I was exposed to of Avatar The Last Airbender, it could be hit or miss if I continued watching the show. I would just think, yeah, it's kind of a nice, cute little kid show, but meh. Um in general, I don't really rewatch episodes six, seven, and eight. I really Mm. don't tend to watch it. I'll just skip right past it. A a lot of times in general, and this is, you know, I'm not, don't want to spoil anything um, because we are going to continue to review this show. I, if I'm going to just watch an episode of Avatar, pretty much the episodes that I like to watch come from seasons two and three. I agree. I, (laughs) the last time I rewatched the show in its entirety, I actually watched the last two episodes of season one and just started there. Yeah. So, (laughs) so it's, it's, my personal taste and preference of these episodes are pretty consistent with my opinion of season one for personal taste and personal enjoyment. I, it's really hit or miss if I want to rewatch an episode. So if I were to rewatch this this season, season one, and coming up through these episodes, I would probably skip three of these five episodes. So, but I, I do enjoy episodes nine and 10. I, I think they're fun. I think they're enjoyable. So I wouldn't take, you know, all the points away from personal taste and preference. But, you know, at this point in the game, if I had no other knowledge of Avatar, it'd be really hit or miss if I continued. It's nice. It's not, there's not anything offensive that I would, you know, oh, I can't stand it. I'll never watch it again. But in rewatches, I don't typically care for these episodes. Um, You know, nine and 10 are the ones that I enjoy more, but that's why I gave it just one out of two for me. Okay. Um, I'm actually in the same boat. One out of two for personal taste and preference. I o- I agree almost 100% with all of your uh, points. I do like episode six, um, but that's mostly for the characters, not so much the story that moves. So I, I really like Haru, and I like that his introduction is here. Um, I wish he was in a slightly better episode because I think he's just a really interesting character with a lot of integrity. I like him a lot. Um, I, it's just a shame that he we kind of get just like a blip of him and we don't see him again in these five episodes. And um, so... You know, I I do like episode six, but episodes seven and eight are kind of throwaways for me, unfortunately. I don't think they're bad. I I don't want to say anything like, they're a slog to get through, because that's not true. Um, But 
they don't contribute enough to me as a rewatcher um, because I already know the things that they establish in those episodes. Right. I, since I'm familiar with the series, I'm like, I already know the exactly you know, those sorts exactly. of things. So I don't need the you know the those less those history bits or whatever. So I just move on. Um, or like I said, kind of skip to the end of this first season anyway. Um, I think my favorite in these five episodes is episode nine, which is the waterbending scroll. And that mostly has to do with, I think that it has a really, really interesting dynamic between Katara and Sokka. Or I'm sorry, Katara and Aang. We get that really, really interesting kind of jealousy dynamic. Katara does some unusual things for her. Um, we get to throw Zuko into that again, that, that mix of the three, uh, of him with our three uh, heroes and I think that dynamic is always really interesting um, and like you said you know at this point we've kind of gotten an explanation uh, more explanation of like why what Zuko's stakes are and how those are different than Zhao's stakes um, so I think by the time that we see him sort of reunited with our heroes it's like it feels a little different than the last time they had a run-in um, so I think that just the action in episode nine, I think is probably the most satisfying for me um, as far as combat and then like dynamics of characters. So one out of two points for me for personal taste as well. Alrighty. And last category is creativity. So out of a total possible score of one, I actually gave this full points. And the biggest reason I gave this full points is, you know, it's, it's difficult, I think, to assess creativity when we're breaking, we're having to break it up in episodes the way we are, because Avatar as a whole, I would give it one out of one creativity, but this chunk of episodes, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But I think these episodes also justify that full point for creativity. I think the biggest reason is because of adding the spirit world element in addition to this fighting and bending aspect of this world makes it really interesting. The fact that Aang and Roku are, you know, Roku is Aang's past lives. And I think these episodes continue to creatively expand the world while integrating humor and good character development. The side characters help make the world feel more human and real instead of it just being like, Fire Nations, all the Fire Nation is bad and all the Earth Kingdom is good. In episode nine, we see that there are Fire Nation individuals who are not necessarily all bad. And in episode six, we see people that there are Earth Kingdom people that are not necessarily all good. I'm sorry, episode 10, we see Fire Nation individuals that are not all bad and we see Earth Kingdom individuals who are not all good. So we kind of see that it's not this black and white, fire. all Fire Nation people are evil, all Earth Kingdom you know, non-Fire Nation, Water Tribe, you know, all of the non-Fire Nation people are good. We get to see this kind of blend that people are still just human. And I think that that is an aspect that's not well explored in children's... Media? Uh, well, especially children's cartoons. True. Like children's Saturday morning cartoons really don't delve that deep because you don't have that kind of time. They're one-off episodes that have a full resolution and don't really connect to anything else. Yeah, I, can, I think kind of the idea of using, like, a children's show to sort of explore the idea that, like, uh, like good versus evil really comes down to personal responsibility and choice is, like, an interesting thing to kind of delve into. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's really intricate, you know, that Jet wants the same thing that Aang does, but the way he wants it is not the same. Right. You know, so things like that I think are just very well explored mm -hmm. and in the because these episodes continue to expand and expound on new depths of Avatar as a show in ways that are not commonly seen in children's media, especially cartoons, 30-minute cartoon segments, I gave it full points for creativity. One out of one. 
Okay. And once again, I agree. One out of one point for creativity. I feel like even though we had some critiques about this chunk of episodes, I really think that we do start to finally fall into like a very good rhythm and styling for the show. We've uh, it's a lot of establishing that's true, but I think in that regard, a lot of that establishment is creative. The creative establishment is now very well understood. I think as f- from a viewer's perspective, I understand um, the art style. I understand, you know, when I see these motifs or colors or when I hear these sorts of uh, motifs in the score, um, they start to have meaning and weight behind them, um, which I think is very creative. Um, I think that, you know, we're, we're now in the part where we can start to play with these, for lack of better term, character of the week, um, characters that come in and out. Now we can play with those personalities a bit and kind of have fun with them and show a very diverse sort of cast. Um, and I think those are creative aspects that shouldn't be ignored. Um, even if overall this chunk of episodes, you know, doesn't necessarily resonate the same way with me and you as veterans of the show. Um, it doesn't mean that they are any less creative than the show as a whole. Um, and I think that that should be, um, distinguished, I guess, uh, for lack of better term, because I do feel like I have been critiquing the show quite a bit, um, in these five episodes. So for me, yes, also one out of one point for creativity. Alrighty, so what's your total score? My total score is 7 out of 10 for these episodes. All right, my total score is 8 out of 10. Okay, fair. Alrighty, I think the only area where we differed was I gave an extra half point from compared to you for characters, and I gave an extra half point for aesthetics. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I was... Oh, sorry, go ahead. But I think think the difference in those two is I think that we are pretty much in agreement, but I think I'm, I'm... trying to compare this to typical kids cartoons in which is why i gave it was a little more generous with those points that's fair and but i I think we're pretty much in agreement with these episodes but so are you ready for lightning round or did you have any more thoughts no i'm ready Okay, so some of our lightning round questions may sound a little redundant from the last time, but they just worked well, so (laughs) we'll use some of them again. Okay, so favorite character um, or new character you can choose, um, you know, is one of our main characters becoming a favorite now in these episodes, or or did you have a a favorite new character? Um, I think, well, I mean, Zuko is, is... Zuko and Iroh, I just think are are great, and watching their development is really great. But I I really enjoy in episode nine the pirates as characters. Okay. I just think they're really interesting. I think they did a great job of making them like legitimately bad people versus like we're pirates but we're fun. Like yeah, you know, like slappy kind of goofy, you know, happy go lucky cartoon pirates they're like no we really like stole this from a waterbender and so i I like the pirates as characters i like pirates in general and i i like don't get me wrong i like good guy pirates but it's nice when you finally get like sometimes you get like the actual bad pirates and you're like dude okay (laughs) they're not good guys yeah so yeah um for me uh, i kind of alluded to this already but haru um i just think he's he, I, I feel like some people sometimes argue that Haru is kind of boring, and I will admit that in the episode that he is introduced in, he is slightly flat. But I think that he serves his purpose really well, um, and I, I, I think, you know, 
he may not necessarily be that interesting, but he does have a very, like, like, he has an integrity that, like, pushes him toward all of his actions. And, and I think that that's just, like, a really nice thing to see from a character that isn't necessarily our core heroes. Um, it's just kind of like this, like, just wants wants the the right thing done character. And that's Haru. So I really like him. Um, so uh, next question. Uh, least favorite character in these episodes that we have reviewed. I mean, you're going to probably not like this, but I feel like Haru and his whole, like, uh, group okay. of people, I don't like them. I it's think okay. I'm not offended. Boring. <laughs> like, I just think they're so boring. Um, I mean, I probably dislike the Fire Sages even more, but they're so minor. So I don't know. I think I'd have to say the, the Haru. He's just snore. Okay. I'm not upset about it. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. I think another thing that I don't like about Haru is like, here's a man being crushed to death and you're an earthbender and you're like, oh, I can't. Well, I no. mean, and your whole like, village is under oppression. So I mean, I, mean, I, I would kind of be I hesitant to. I get too. that. I totally get that. And he does do the right thing. But the fact that he has that hesitation is kind of like, mm, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just a weenie, but I feel like I would also. I can hesitate. see it both ways. I really can see it both ways. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just like. Maybe this is just a reflection on me that I think too highly of myself because I would think if I was in that situation, I'll save this guy's life. There's no way. I'm going to get in trouble for earthbending when this water tribe girl saw me earthbend. And I'm about to save this dude's life. Like, there's not, it's not going to go bad if I save this guy's life. But then, plot twist, it goes bad when he saves the guy's life. So, you know, no harm, no foul. I'm, uh, not, yeah. I'm not knocking it. But yeah. I'm just like, dude, you're an earthbender. And, and then it's like... They're on the bar. I just don't like that episode in general. It's, it's like, okay. you're on the barge and you're like, oh, this is our fate now. <laughs> like, dude. <laughs> Eating the soup or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, ah, come on. But I mean, the fact that like when Katara brings the coal, they're like, this is our fate now. <laughs> it's like, come on. I thought you guys were supposed to be like, you know, impressive. So that to me, it just makes him not very likable because he's not very interesting. I got you. But that's just my take. That's okay. If you're a Haru fan. I'm a Haru fan, don't but I'm not hate. offended. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, you're a Haru fan and you're offended. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> be like Tori and don't be offended. Um, so my least favorite character in the episodes that we're reviewing is uh, Zhao. He sucks. <laughs> yeah and i hate him yeah. um he's a very very good villain to our villains kind of like you said um but yeah i kind of want to punch him in the face all the time and i i think that's good like yeah. it's it's we we want a character like that but that doesn't mean i have to like him right. i don't like him at all um even though he's integral to the plot and i think he should be placed in the plot as he is I still hate him. So that's why he's my yeah. least favorite that's totally fair <laughs> okay next question which previous avatar do you think is the coolest? So right now we have Roku and Kyoshi mm -hmm. in this show. 
Um, Roku or Kiyoshi? Um, Who do you think's cooler? Well, at this point, we don't know a lot about Kiyoshi. I mean, we don't know a lot of their backstories. And without spoiling anything, we will at some point. So based on just what we know right now, um, I mean, I would probably say Roku because he gets to have a dragon as his, like, animal spirit guide. Okay. So I would just want Fang, his dragon. I would say Kiyoshi because the Kiyoshi warriors that we met in the previous five episodes are really interesting. Plus, uh, she didn't destroy a temple for no reason. That's true. (laughs) Avatar Roku did destroy a temple for no reason. So, facts. (laughs) We kind of already answered this next question, but favorite episode in this chunk? Um, it's a toss up between nine and ten. It kind of depends on what kind of mood I'm in. I've seen episode ten so many times so sometimes i'm kind of bored with it i remember episode 10 was one of those episodes that they like aired on tv all the time all the time so it must have been a fan favorite yeah yeah it was just i felt like i saw it all the time um so today it'd probably be episode 9 just because i'm not i'm a little tired of episode 10 it's just a little overplayed yeah so but i like both of them very much same for me and i talked about that already so um what do you have like a moment that you think is the best in these episodes that i think is the best like the best moment well a moment that i I, one thing that i did not touch on in my review i think the dialogue in this show is so good like we quote stuff my family and i quote stuff from this show all the time and i just think the most like the most memorable like quotes from this show from these episodes in particular is when um when the whole bit about Sokka's instincts I think are great that whole bit back and forth is just so funny and then the part where Katara is fake earthbending and she and Sokka are arguing with each other and getting in a fight to like I'll show you earthbending style that whole part yeah. it's just it's so funny I to me. said earthbending <laughs> yeah. style yeah and yeah. like Aang's not paying attention and do large animals use your ears for shade like yeah. I mean, it's just like so goofy I wouldn't say that's necessarily like the best moment but I think I think one of the best moments like visually it's like i kind of mentioned in aesthetics that those those um black and white uh stills of Sokka warning the town i just think that's absolutely beautiful but those two those two kind of quotable moments are ones that i have just stuck with me for a long time so mm-hmm. for me i think the best moment in these episodes is in episode 10 um when katara and ang finally realize like what jet and the freedom fighters like plan is um they realize Sokka is right um and they they kind of have that moment where they're like crud like we should have listened and Katara basically like ices Jet up against the tree um and then they realize that like they have no time left and everything falls on Sokka's shoulders um it's just like a really significant moment I think for the three of them specifically is that it almost feels like up until then Katara and Aang have almost had this expectation that Sokka should put his trust in them. And we get this moment where now they are forced to put their trust in Sokka. And it's just really satisfying as a viewer that he comes through and saves that village. Um, So I think that's just like 
for me, I think that's the best moment in these episodes. Yeah, I think you're right. I would agree. So, Okay, last question. Uh, if you had to get rid of any episode in this chunk, which one would you get rid of? Um, that's a tough one. If I had to get rid of one, uh, that's, that's a tough one because... Like, personal taste-wise, I would probably say episode six, because it's boring to me. But I think it's necessary to the plot. And so are seven and eight and ten, I think, are really important. So I would be tempted to say, well, I guess you'd have to toss episode nine or six. But, um, so that's what I would narrow it down to. But I don't know. I, I also don't really like the... I don't know. I feel like maybe you could have condensed episode seven and eight into one episode. So that if if I could do that as my option, maybe I would just say that. Okay. For me, I would throw away episode seven. Um, I think the two big things that happen in episode seven are we understand, we get a glimpse at kind of how the spirit world works and the restrictions. And I feel like they could have easily like put that into another episode, kind of like you said. Um, other than, you know, I feel like the whole... Aang battling the spirit monster thing is something that, like, we could kind of do without. Um, and then the other thing that happens in that episode is that's the episode that Iroh gets captured um, and Zuko has to track him down. Again, I feel like it's not as significant plot-wise as everything else. Um, and it's things that could be included facets of in other episodes. So for that reason, I feel like it's the most skippable of all five of these episodes. So I would say I would get rid of that one. I like the B plot though of Iroh and Zuko um, in that episode though. I think it really highlights Iroh as a character and shows him as this kind of formidable firebender and that he can hold his own but i agree i do think that b plot really could have been in any episode right we could have had that as the b plot for episode six because it's not affecting what our main heroes are doing at all there, so they could have put that anywhere there is one moment though that i think is really interesting in that episode is when iroh sees ang on the dragon and so it's like this question, like, can Iroh see into the spirit world? Did he see that? Did he just happen to turn at the right time? So I think that part's really interesting, but it's not addressed or resolved in that episode. So I think that we could have, you know, moved that B-plot to some other episode. Yeah. Any other thoughts? No. All right. Well, then thank you for joining us for this episode. We look forward to having you back. Um, you can follow us on our social medias if you're not already. Uh, we have Twitter at Lion and Mouse Pod and Instagram at Lion and Mouse Podcast. Our website's lionandmousepodcast.com. Uh, our rules of engagement are always there. Notes from each episode. I'm very good at scanning those in so you can read our handwritten notes. We have a suggestion box. Tell us what you want us to review. Um, if there's something that's really important to you or you think is absolutely awful and you would just want us to hear and you just want to hear us talk about it for an hour to an hour and a half, uh, we got you. Tell us what it is. Um, you can also support us on Patreon. Uh, you can receive gifts, exclusive content for that support. Um, and of course, if you like what you heard or didn't, uh, just give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Also, spread the word. I think word of mouth would be really important to help grow our podcast, um, and we would really appreciate that. So uh, tell your friends. Uh, re retweet our tweets. Uh, share our instagram stories whatever uh method works best for you um tell just tell people uh about it um if you have a friend who's you know 
favorite show is Avatar The Last Airbender and you're listening to this episode, make sure you share that episode with your friend because they obviously want to hear us talk about it too, right? (laughs) Um, As always, just thank you so much for listening and we will catch you in the next one.